We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching from Metro Church. We hope this inspiring message will empower and enrich your life. Y'all feeling good this morning? You can take your seats. What an honor it is to be here at Metro Church. I heard rumors you guys are the most passionate church, not just in Boston, but the entire United States of America. Is that true? <laughs> heard you're the best looking church, the best smelling church. You have the best football team, the best basketball team. Don't judge me. Just pray for me. I'm a Jets fan because of my dad. And uh, it hurts. And... Uh, and I'm one of those Jet fans that just loves and respects the Patriots. And uh, I'm also a Knicks fan, so my life is just full of pain and suffering. But I love the fact that the Celtics are in the NBA Finals. I am going for the Celtics. Is that okay? And uh, what an honor it is to be here. We're going to pray in just a uh, moment. Before I do that, I just want to honor uh, the founding pastors of Metro Church, Don and Nita. Love you guys. Honor you. Thank you. Thank you for paving the way for the next generation. And uh, I want to honor you and thank you for being faithful and uh, the, the example that you are. What a powerful thing. I think the true story will be told in heaven, but uh, from a younger leader, thank you for remaining faithful and paving the way and creating a foundation for Metro Church to go beyond your wildest dreams and, and the generations to come. So thank you. I honor you. And Chad and Julie, I love you guys so much. Anybody thankful for your pastors here today? Come on, you can do better than that. Anybody thankful for your pastors? We got to uh, hang out all day yesterday. Chad is the greatest tour guide I've ever met in my entire life. And... Uh, uh, we just love the city of Boston. It's not often that uh, Brooke uh, gets to tag along, and uh, we get going ministry trips together. And uh, one honor it is for us to be here together. And uh, we love you guys. We consider you. I hope it's okay. We consider y'all family. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm really, I really am. I'm really excited to be here at Metro Church. I've always heard so much about you through my pastor, Pastor Steve. And uh, I love my pastors, who also happen to be my parents. One of the uh, one of the reasons I'm standing on this stage is because of their leadership and their faithfulness. And not just who they are on the stage, but their integrity and character off of the stage. And uh, really helped me as a, as a pastor's kid. And uh, before we pray, I need to show you photos of my children. Is that okay? This is a rule. It's a rule that I have to do. So I think, we're, I think we have some photos. If not, I'll just, just that's my, my son. His name's Locke or Lachlan. We call him the Loch Ness Monster. And I think we have a photo of my little princess. There's Livy, who is four. Locke is almost two. And uh, we left them behind with my parents. There's us, a little family photo shoot. And uh, pray for my parents, because they've been watching them the last two days. <laughs> and I love sleeping in. Can I get an amen? Are you ready for the word? Before we pray, I'm just going to read some Bible, because that's a good idea to do. And uh, today's conversation is one I really believe is for us as the church. And these are not my ideas or my opinions. We don't need any of that. We need the truth of the Word of God. And uh, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 14 just to give us some, some context 
of what we're about to jump into. We're about to walk into Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Leading into this, Jesus is is fully man, fully God, and he he is. He's understanding that he's about to take on the weight and the sin and the shame of the world. So Jesus is it's, it's understanding that it is about to take place. He's about to be arrested. He's about to die for you and for me. He's about to take your place and my place on the cross. He's and three days later raised from the dead, defeating the devil, defeating sin, defeating who we used to be. So that you and I, this is the gospel, this is good news today, can come before our Savior just as we are and experience his grace and his love and his mercy. Be transformed. Jesus is, is getting ready to, 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 to walk into this situation. That's what we're going to jump into today. Just to feel the weight of what is on Jesus' shoulders of this verse that we're about to read. Mark chapter 14, it, it says this. that Jesus is with his disciples. It, it says this. They came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. You ever been there? As a Jets fan, I've been there many times. <laughs> Have you ever been there? I, I love that the, the Bible doesn't shy away from the, the, how Jesus was feeling in this moment. The Bible says that he plunged into, into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. You live long enough, there's going to be times in your life where it feels like you plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. Yeah. I have any friends this morning? He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. That's what Jesus said. And then he says this, stay here and keep vigil with me. And then Jesus says this, verse 35, it says this, going a little ahead, he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out. You ever prayed for a way out of anything? Like, God, please get me out of this. I, I, I think it's interesting. The Bible says that Jesus fell to the ground. Jesus didn't like politely kneel to the ground. He is so physically, spiritually, emotionally exhausted. The Bible says Jesus fell. You need to understand and picture where Jesus is in this moment. Jesus falls to the ground and he prays for a way out he says this father you can can't you get me out of this jesus knew that the father could get him out of this jesus says take this cup away from me and then jesus says something interesting he says this but please not what i want what do you want not what i want what do you want? We're going to pray in just a moment. If you're taking notes this morning, I will encourage you to do so. It just helps you remember maybe one thing from our conversation today. You can write this down. The title of our conversation is Get Back Up. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, get back up. Is this water or coffee? We're going to find out. It's <laughs> Pastor Chad said it's whiskey. It's too early. Get back up. I don't have a subtitle, so if you don't like that title, you can make one up on your own. Can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for being here today. God, without your presence this morning would almost be a waste of time. But God, I thank you that you are here. I thank you for your church. I thank you for Metro Church, what you're doing in this church. God, I thank you for this area. This region, you called Metro Church to reach. I thank you the best days have yet to come. God, I thank you for the leadership of this house, what you're doing. God, I pray for favor. God, I pray for open doors, supernatural doors to open. And this year and the years to come, I thank you for the years and the foundation that's been built. God, I thank you, Lord, that you, your dreams are bigger than ours. I thank you for the thousands and millions of people you've called us to reach. God, I thank you that every person in this room today, you orchestrated, you designed for us to be here. God, for everybody watching online, God, it's no accident. 
God, I thank you that you smile at every single person in this room and your house today. And God, we just thank you that the Celtics will win the NBA championship. And everybody said, everybody said, amen. Thank you, Gabby. Everybody give Gabby a hand. You're asking why Gabby was playing the piano while I was praying. It's because it just sounds more spiritual. If you would bear with me, I, I would like to share with you a, a brief story of the first real college football game that I experienced being a Jets fan. Um, I had to pick another team to experience some sort of winning in life. And so obviously I picked, don't judge me, I picked Alabama football. Some of my best friends are, are Bama fans. Please don't judge me. But, but I got to experience my first Alabama football game this last year. A pastor friend of mine lives in Alabama invited me to come down there. And one of my, my best friends, I worship Pastor David Daworski, and he invited us to go to the Alabama LSU game. And I don't know if you've ever been to a college football game. I've yet to been to a Patriots game. I'm sure that's like the closest thing to heaven you can experience. But. And so the pastor invited us. He said, hey, come down a day early because if you come down the day of, it's going to be packed and you're not going to be able to see a lot of the city. If you come down a day early, we can do a little tour. It wasn't as good as Chad's tour, but we can do a little tour and you can see stuff and there's this restaurant you can go to. It's this famous restaurant where Bear Bryant used to go and eat breakfast and, and, and they have these biscuits, Josh. They're going to change your life. I said, we're going to get in. I love carbohydrates. We're going to get in a day early and we're going to get, have a tour. So we get in a day early and we go to this restaurant and, and, and they, they welcome us. Hey, welcome to, 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 to this restaurant. And, and the, the pastor introduces us and says, hey, this is their first time to Tuscaloosa, to T-Town. She said, your first time? Welcome. We're so honored that you're here. I kid you not, the most welcoming people I've ever met in my life. We take a seat, and there's a, a table where Bear Bryant used to eat, and they bring us our breakfast, and she brings us these biscuits. I'm telling you, manna from heaven. She said, do you like the biscuits? I said, ma'am, these are amazing. They really are changing my life. This, my pastor friend told me that what she said, because it's your first time, I'm going to bring you more biscuits to go. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> the next day we woke up early to experience all of game day, and we go to the tailgating section. People start tailgating at like 7 a.m., and there are tent, tailgating tents as far as the eye could see. We go to one of the tents of, that was a friend of the pastor that we're with and introduces us and, and again says, this is Josh, this is David, this is their first time. Everybody, it's your first time? Welcome! <laughs> Sit wherever you want, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. So thank you. We just felt so honored to be there. And then two hours before the game, we went in front of the stadium. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, when, when the football team comes in, it's called the Walk of Champions. And you get to, you get to go up and, and go on either side of where they walk in. You get to watch the football team come in. And we got there two hours before the football team was going to arrive. And there's already thousands of people there. So there's maybe four or five rows of people in front of us. And we make our way down there. And, and, and we start talking to people. And again, the, our pastor friend introduces us to the family we're talking to. It's like, this is Josh. This is David. This is their fir first time. This is your first time? They moved people out of the way so we could get to the front. He says, you don't understand, young man. Nick Saban's going to be right there. He's going to stand right. You're going to see him. He's going to be within 10 feet. Of right. you're, he's going to be right there. You're going to meet. You're going to almost meet. You're not going to believe how close you're going to be to Nick Saban. Started talking to their family, her daughter, and her daughter was with her fiance and talking about how they just got engaged. And I saw on her phone, she had a photo with this guy. And I asked her, I said, oh, is that your like engagement photo? She was like, no, this is a photo of me and Nick Saban. I got to meet him last year. <laughs> I kid you not. I asked her fiance, I said, are you okay with this? He's like, I have the same photo on my phone. 
Nick Saban walks in, the football team walks in, people are losing their minds. It's time to go into the stadium, nobody is late to the game, no one. We get to our seats again, the pastor that we're with is introducing us to everybody, everybody loves each other, everybody's hugging each other, high-fiving each other, they explain, this is Josh, this is David, this is their first time. The whole section found out it was our first time. They moved us down to the front of the section because it was our, this is your first time? You can sit right down there. We'll move people out of the way so you can get up as close as you can. Everybody knew the words to the songs. Of course, Alabama beat LSU. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Church, I, I love football. I love sports. But I couldn't help but think to myself. I couldn't help but think to myself, how is it that these fans get this more than the church? How is it that these people are more passionate and more welcoming than we are as as the church? Can I get an amen? I mean, how much more as followers of Jesus should we be for the one thing that Jesus is building, his church? How much more passionate? How much more passionate should we be for new people coming to church? For moving out of our seats so that a new person can get as close as they can to the front. Wait until, wait till the service starts. It's not just the service. The Holy Spirit of God is here. He's going to be right there. Wait till you meet Jesus. The grace and the love and the hope of Jesus. How much more passionate should we be about getting early to church? So we don't miss one moment of praise and worship. Oh friends, the church that is the hope of the world. And can you believe That God, God uses you and me to be his church. The church is far from perfect because we're a part of it. Yet God in his goodness and his grace and his favor and his plans and his purposes uses you and me to share the most important story to all of mankind. The story and the hope in the name of Jesus. Can I get one good amen? I really believe this. I believe there is no greater time to be a part of the church. People look around and say the world's going crazy. The world is full of darkness. Yes, friend, and we get to be the church. We get to bring light into the darkness. I really believe there is no greater time to be a part of the church. There's no greater time to be alive as a human being, as a follower of Jesus. I believe God is using his church in a way that he's never used it before. Oh, what an opportunity that you and I get to be a part of in the history of the church, and yet how often I look around. I look around at the church. I look around at followers of Jesus. I look at myself at times in my life, and how often that we've given up on the one thing that Jesus is building, his church. How often I look around at followers of Jesus, and I see those of us who have given up on the call of God on our lives. For whatever reason it may be, we've all got good reasons. We've started to think about, entertain the idea of giving up on the call of God in our lives. We're started to, maybe, maybe we got offended. I've been there. Maybe we got hurt. Maybe we faced disappointment. Maybe life just happened. And for whatever reason, we start to revert to the idea of giving up. Yet, the Bible I read, there's one thing the church does not do, and that is give up. An interesting question I would like to propose to you and I this morning is, is what would it take for you to give up? Think about that. What would have to happen in your life to cause you to give up? Give up the church, give up on the call of God in your life. What would it take? I found these seasons in life that at times can, 
cause us to want to give up. The devil uses those seasons to defeat us while God uses those seasons to make us better. I want to, I want to show us today the reason why you and I as followers of Jesus, we don't have the license to give up. Now, before we, before we, before we go there, I, I need to make sure you understand that I do not have the authority to suggest to you in your life and your situation that as a follower of Jesus, you don't have license to give up. I don't have that authority, but I know somebody who does. His name's Jesus. Mark 14, we're going to read it again. Jesus prays for, for a way out. Jesus has fallen to the ground. He says, Father, take this cup away from me, but please not what I want. What do you want? The Savior of the, of the world, not what I want. What do you want? Why, why can't we give up? Why didn't Jesus give up? Jesus didn't give up, friends, because it actually wasn't about him. It was about all of humanity. So why, you and I this morning, why... Why can't we give up, friend? Because it's actually not about you anymore. It's not about us anymore. As followers of Jesus, the freedom that is found in understanding this life that I live actually isn't about me anymore. Oh, there's freedom in discovering that, friend. I can't help but talk about this. Not giving up, understanding it's not about me. I can't help but talk about this and think about my grandfather. My dad's dad. My grandfather's from Ireland. Moved to New York. Then moved his family to Australia. He was an alcoholic, addicted to gambling. Almost drank himself to death. Gambled their whole life away. Gambled their house away. Had to tell his wife, my grandmother, that he had gambled everything away. In his late 40s, get saved. My dad got saved at the age of 17, was able to one by one lead his family to church and to Jesus. And my grandfather told my, my dad, his son, he said, son, I, I grew up in Catholic church. I love the Catholic church, but he said, I never knew that I could have a relationship with Jesus. That there was a solution to my sin. My grandfather dedicated the rest of his life to starting a program called Regeneration. It's an it's a addiction recovery program with the hope of Jesus. So churches all around the world. It's in our church back home. And life went on and we had moved to America about 10 years ago. Since then, my grandmother had gone to be with Jesus. She had graduated to heaven. My grandfather was still alive and he had gotten really, really sick. And I believe he was in his, his 70s. And, and my dad gets a call in America, says, hey, hey Steve, it's from the doctor. said, hey, Steve, you need, to, you need to get on a plane as soon as you can and fly home because your, your father's not going to be here by the time you get here. So you need to be prepared to do your dad's funeral. So obviously my dad's taking that information. It's emotional. It's heavy. He said, okay, I'm on my way. Books the next flight out. He flies to Australia. He, they tell him to come into the hospital, and he walks into the hospital room, and, and there is my grandfather, his dad, alive and breathing. Now, you got to understand something about the Kelly family. We have a sick sense of humor. And he looked at his dad and said, hey, you're supposed to be dead. My grandfather said to, to his son, my dad, he said, he says, Son, I know. And as much as I'd love to let go of this pain, I'd love to, to see your mom in heaven. He said, Son, I, I couldn't help but think about Johnny. Still isn't free of that addiction. I couldn't still help think about my caretaker who doesn't know Jesus yet. Couldn't help but think about these sort of naming these friends in his life that still hadn't yet given their lives to Jesus. He said, Son, I couldn't go just yet. 
My dad said, wow, it's amazing. And flew back home into the States. About the same time the next year, my dad gets another phone call from the same doctor. He said, Steve, I know we've been through this once, but I, you need to come home immediately. Uh, your, your dad, he's, not, he's gotten worse. He's not going to be here by the time you get here. He, you need to be prepared to do your dad's funeral. He said, okay, I'm, I'm, gets on the first flight, flies over. They tell him to come to the hospital room. He walks in the hospital room, and there is my grandfather sitting in bed eating an egg. <laughs> my dad said to his, his dad, my grandfather, he said, he said, look, Dad, I can't keep doing this. The next time they call me, you better be dead. <laughs> he said, I know, son. He laughed. He said, I know, son, but I still couldn't help think about Johnny, my caretaker, this friend, that friend. They still don't know the freedom that's found in Jesus. He said, son, I would love to graduate to heaven. He said, as much as I want that, I couldn't go just yet. Later that year, our family, we took a trip to Australia to visit all of our family and my grandfather had gotten worse. He was the sickest he'd ever been. He's in a wheelchair. He's got an oxygen tank. And my grandfather said to, to my dad, he said, hey, son, I've, I've set up a church service at the church I'm a part of in the Blue Mountains of Australia. He said, it's on a Wednesday night, and, and I've set up a service. I've invited all my friends, and, and I need you to show up and, and preach the best message of your life. My dad looked at his dad. He said, you can't just organize a service. You got to talk to the pastor. You got to get approval. He said, I already have. The pastor knows it's a service on a Wednesday night. I've invited everybody. Our family goes. See this church service. The church is there. My grandfather's there with his caretaker, all his friends that he invited. I watched my dad honor his dad and preach the best message of his life and watched my dad give an altar call at the end, inviting people to give their lives to Jesus. And I watched my grandfather's caretaker and all of his friends give their lives to Jesus. That night, that night we, went, we went to dinner and, and it's, it's like my grandfather knew. Went in for a hug before we went to dinner. He pulled me back in one more time. We go to dinner. My dad gets a phone call, says, hey, you, need to, you need to come home and, and see your grandfather. And we found out that my grandfather really, really wanted my dad to be there. My dad walks into his dad's home. It was like two minutes from the church and was able to hold my dad's hand. He said, Dad, I'm here. He said, I know, son. He said, Dad, all your friends are caretaker. They gave their lives to Jesus. He said, I know, son. My dad was able to be with his father as he graduated to heaven. And I'm reminded, church... I am, my grandfather reminded me this life we live is, is, is no longer about us. God, not what I want. What do you want? I guess what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to stir in your faith and your spirit today, friend, is do not give up. Don't give up on the call of God in your life. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on the God dream that he instilled in your heart. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on this city. Don't give up on what God is doing in our nation. Don't give up. Don't give up. Before we close, I was praying, God, what is it that you want to say to your church? even this year. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of this moment in Scripture where Jesus, who's the head of the church, says something to his disciples who would pioneer the early church. He says something that I think sometimes we forget. I know how often I forget this, but I believe it is imperative for us as the church, and I believe it's imperative this year. John 13, 35 says this. Jesus is seated with his disciples. His conversation takes place just before that verse we read earlier, Jesus says this to his disciples, a new command I give you. His disciples are probably thinking a new command. They're intrigued. A new command. This is something we haven't heard before. And Jesus says, love one another. 
His disciples are probably thinking, Jesus, we know this. This is nothing new. Like you lived this. You, you taught us this. What, what do you mean this is a new command? Love one another. Jesus says, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Up until this point, the, the disciples now have seen how Jesus has loved them. And it is, it is in this way that Jesus has loved them. Now they've been tasked to love people that way. That's not always easy. Jesus says this, love one another as I've loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my church. If you love one another. I, I wonder this morning, what are we known for? I wonder, maybe think about it for, for yourself. What are, what are you known for? I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me about my life, about our church back home. I believe us as a church this morning, Metro Church, for all of those watching online, it's something we need to leave behind this year is negativity and gossip. I think that's something we need to leave behind. And we need to pick up encouragement and words of life. Go and speak life. I wonder, are we known for gossip and negativity or are we known for, for speaking life and encouragement? Jesus didn't say to his disciples, everybody's going to know you're my church by how negative you are and how much gossip you speak. No, Jesus said they're going to know you're my church by how you speak life. In the darkness, how you bring light, how you bring encouragement to anyone and everyone around you. The world doesn't need any more negativity and gossip. It needs life. Look at the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he spoke life. By the way, the devil loves a negative Jesus follower and a gossiping Christian because they're doing his job for him. I've been there many, many times, friend. But may we be a people, may we be a church. No matter what the news says, no matter what Instagram says, no matter what culture says, no matter what politicians say, we will always speak life. We will encourage. Can I get an amen? So I wonder, when was the last time that you encouraged somebody? Like really encourage someone. So I did this morning. I walked in and said, God bless you. I'm not talking about God bless you. I mean, when was the last time that you really specifically encouraged somebody? Have you ever experienced the power of encouragement? Can you think of a moment in your life where somebody just spoke life into you? I have. This last year, I experienced the power of encouragement in a powerful way. This last year, one of the great heroes of our church back home, his name's Chase Llewellyn. He's a great friend of mine, and his brother Luke is a very close friend of mine. His entire family attends our church. Chase, he's a husband, he's a dad. He had a fight with cancer for 11 years and graduated to heaven this last year. And in honor of his life, and uh, around his birthday last year, his brother Luke put together a workout just in honor of his brother, Chase. Chase was a Marine. Chase was an amazing man of God and full of faith. And, and this workout that, that Luke, his brother, put together, I'm going to explain it to you just so that uh, you can understand uh, the, the, the workout that I attempted to do. <laughs> the workout consisted of a three-mile run to start, then 11 rounds of four strict pull-ups, seven push-ups, and 17 ab mat sit-ups then when you've completed the 11 rounds there was a mandatory 15 seconds of dancing 
each number and, 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 and exercise had something to do with Chase and his fight of faith and his life and particularly the dancing Chase showed us that we always have a reason to dance. Before Chase would go into surgery, he'd dance. So I thought it'd be a good idea to do this workout. Obviously, all of his friends, we, we did this workout with Luke around Chase's birthday. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go above and beyond for Chase. And so I'm going to do this three-mile run with a weight vest, 30-pound weight vest. I'm just going to go above and beyond. I'm like, I'm going to make Chase proud. And, and, and this was a good idea up until about 17 seconds into the run. <laughs> And I did this in my, my neighborhood, and, and I, I, I have my, my phone app that, that it tells me, you know, when, when I've completed the three-mile run, and every mile it, it, it speaks, it says, you've completed one mile, and, 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 and church, I am suffering. I am, I'm thinking to myself, Josh, why did you put a vest with 30 pounds of weight on for this three-mile run? Three miles is as bad as it is. Can I get an amen? It's hot. I'm sweating. I, I am. I, I, I get to the second mile, and I'm thinking, I can't, I don't know if I can do this last mile. I'm thinking this to myself. I am at. I'm just at my wit's end of endurance. Thinking, I don't know if I'm. I'm gonna finish my. I'm, I'm breathing heavy. My my legs are are, are heavy, and, and I'm just waiting for the countdown where it says, "Congratulations, you've completed your three mile run." And, and and as I'm looking at my phone, and I have like you know point zero two miles left, I see that I still have about a quarter mile to get to my house, which I think I'm thinking that's great. That's rest time. When I finish this run, it's just rest. I'm going to walk the rest of the way after I've ran three miles. The problem is, as my phone goes off, it says, congratulations, you finished your three-mile run. I'm passing a house with a family in their front yard. And they think that I'm giving up. They see me stopping and tired. And so they start to cheer me on. No, don't stop. Don't give up. You can finish. My pride wouldn't let me stop. And explain to them, no, you don't understand. This is three miles for a friend who passed away. I've done the workout. And I, I just, I kept running. So, oh my gosh, I just got to keep, you can do it. Their son was like, thank you for your service. I was like, I'm not in the army, but I am in the army of the Lord. So I'm like running from stolen valor. And all I'm looking for is the end of the street so I can turn and collapse so they won't see me anymore. <laughs> this family was so frustratingly encouraging. I thought I couldn't take another step, yet I found a second win to run further than I ever thought I could have ran. Church, understand. Understand. There are people in your life this year who are on the verge of collapse who are on the verge of giving up, who are on the verge of thinking and coming to the conclusion that they have nothing left to give. And whether they know it or not, they are waiting for you as a follower of Jesus to speak life into their spirit, speak life into their situation. There are people in our lives who are about to throw in the towel on their relationship with God, on the church, on their marriage, on their kids, on their business. May we speak life. Oh, friends, as the church, may we speak life. When we see people hurting and broken, may we speak life. When we see those who have fallen, 
There's already enough people in the world kicking those while they are down. May we as the church point them to the one who can pick them up again. Remind them there's still grace for you. There's still hope for you. God's not done with you yet. Maybe you're in church today. Maybe you're here today. And you find yourself in that place. Starting to entertain the idea of giving up. Maybe you're in church today and you have. Maybe today was your last shot with God. Oh, friend, can I remind you? Can I encourage you? God's not done with you yet. There's still grace for you. There's still hope for you. Don't you give up just yet. God isn't done with you yet. Get back up. Get back up. Maybe on the outside, it looks like you got it all together, but on the inside, you are crumbling. On the inside, you are falling. On the inside, you are done. Friend, get back up. There's still grace for you. There's still hope for you. There's still purpose for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. I believe what God is doing in this church, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is not normal, what God is doing. You can come to a church like this and think, oh, I guess this is just how all churches are. All churches are awesome. They're not. God is doing something unique and special in this church. Don't give up. Sometimes, sometimes it takes somebody from the outside to remind you just how blessed you are. The leadership and pastors that you have, that God is moving, the Holy Spirit of God is moving in this church. You're reaching people. I believe the best is yet to come in this church, in this region, to be a leader church. Already is, but a leader church for this region of what is possible when a group of followers of Jesus don't give up on what God is doing in this church. Oh, Metro Church, I see God doing things that I believe would shock everybody in this room, in this region. The best is yet to come. God, God is, I know it sounds like a church thing, but God really is up to something in Metro Church. Don't give up. Don't give up. The devil is terrified of this church. Go lose his foothold in this region, this area. Amen. Regardless of the world around us, may we be a people that are just known for speaking life. Speaking encouragement. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this teaching from Metro Church.